If you are new to Covenant Presbyterian Church, we have been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the habit of the ministers here to take ordinarily a book or a portion of a book and to preach through it, because we believe that that's the best way for people to grow and for us to have a sense of the unity of the Bible and to instruct the people of God. Every once in a while, I will interrupt a series to preach something that I think um, is needed. I've actually had a lot of questions about angels. I'm going to be answering some of those. But if you picked up on that line in our hymn, those under the heavy load, there's also another reason here, uh, because many of us are going through many things, and I think that you'll find this very encouraging to you in whatever station in life you may hold at the moment. Also, I rarely preach a topical sermon. This is not an apology, just an explanation. Uh, and I, I don't know if I've ever done this before on a Sunday morning. So fasten your feet, seat belts. I usually just take a sketch of a sermon, sermon, the sermon in the pulpit with me. But uh, it is a topical sermon on what the Bible teaches about angels. For backdrop, and we will actually reference the passage later, first chapter of the book of Hebrews, and it's a passage that I have expounded um, numbers of times, but I think you will see why I've chosen this passage as we begin to look at this subject this morning. Let's briefly pray. Our Father, angels are here present. Your word teaches us so, and we pray that we may remember that this sermon about what the Bible teaches about angels is really about Christ, who is the Lord of the angels. It's always about Christ, ever about Christ. And we pray that you will encourage the hearts of believers with your governance of the world and the way in which you've chosen to govern your world. And also, Heavenly Father, that those who are lost and undone, who are here filled with doubt, would leave with faith in Christ by the effectual calling of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews, the first chapter, this is the word of God. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Well, as I said, I've been asked many questions about angels. I've never heard a sermon on the subject, but the Bible is pervaded with the theme. We have many wrong views about angels in the church and in our culture. Some people think that when we die, we become angels. The Bible doesn't teach that. Some people venerate and worship angels, which certainly is idolatry. Some people teach that angels are just ideas, that really they are myths, all the way back to the Sadducees who denied the existence of angels. And many so-called theologians of our day can hardly think that beings exist elsewhere with interest in us. As Kuiper says, for them the heavens were depopulated. Some of us think of angels as cute little babies with wings, little pooties. We market products of all kinds with angels with a very unbiblical view of what these grand beings are and what God intends to do through them. Scripture teaches that the creation is made up of the spiritual and the material realm. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Even though much modern thought denies the existence of the invisible realm and of angels, this, of course, denies Scripture and obscures God's glory. In the Bible, angels are of great importance, and we want to be modest and stick with what the Scriptures teach insofar as we are able to understand them. As we start, take encouragement that the Lord is at work in the midst of your life, even through the angelic realm, that there is more to this world and this universe than you are able to see. There's so much that we can't touch on. Perhaps that favorite verse about angels I won't even mention this morning because we are just skimming the surface of what the Bible teaches about this subject. Many Reformed theologians to which I've turned to interact, I'll not be mentioning those sources for the most part. Let's begin then with the creation of angels, the creation of angels. The creation of angels is not specifically mentioned in the opening chapters of Genesis, but we do read in Genesis 2.1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And the heavens implies all that were included in the heavens. And it's reasonable for us to think that angels were created within the six days of creation and not be misled by Milton. Some of them fell before man fell. We know that because we are told that in various places. The devil was a liar from the beginning, John 8. But I'm not focusing upon the devil and fallen angels this morning. Angels were evidently created all together, for they were all present and shouted at the foundation of the earth. We read in Job 38, 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So they are creatures of God, uh, who in Hebrews 12, 9 is called the father of spirits. Their numbers are many. They are called in the Bible, Sabaot, hosts, Machaneum, camps, in Genesis 32, 1 and 2. Demons are referred to as legions, and they are fallen angels. The book of Revelation refers to myriads of angels, 10,000 times 10,000. That's what myriads mean. There was a multitude of them at the birth of Christ in Daniel 7:10. Thousand, thousands of ministering spirits ministered to the Ancient of Days, and in Hebrews 12.22, we find a reference to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Their home is in heaven, as is evident, in that they serve before the throne of God. Secondly, their names and their ranks. The Bible uses the word angel 
It does not refer to the nature of the angel, but to the office or function of an angel, which means messenger or envoy. Sometimes they are called sons of God. Sometimes they are called holy ones. In other places, they are called watchers. Two angels are given proper names in the Bible. The first is Gabriel, mentioned twice in Daniel 8.16, Daniel 9.21. He was also the angel who announced good news to Zechariah and the birth of Jesus to Mary. We read in Luke 1.19 and again in verse 26, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Again in verse 26, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Gabriel. But also we are given another name, and that is the name Michael. Michael in Jude chapter 9 is called the archangel. He rebuked the devil when contending with him over Moses' body. He helped the man clothed in linen against the spiritual being behind the Persian empire who contended for Israel in the book of Daniel. Who with his angels wars victoriously against the enemies of God's people, according to Revelation 12.7. And Michael is probably the angel that is referenced in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 when we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise. The archangel Michael. There are ranks and classes of angels. God is a God of order. Herman Bobbick makes the fascinating observation that the angelic world, like our own, is probably incredibly varied. Think how varied our world is with various races and ethnicities. Well, the world of the angelic evidently is as varied as well. Gabriel and Michael, the archangel, helps us to see that there are classifications, but also we read of certain classifications. Cherubim, Genesis 3.29, cherubim guard the garden. They are depicted on the mercy seat between which the Lord is enthroned in the tabernacle. The ark had a gold cherub at each end. Their outstretched wings covered the mercy seat as they faced each other. And when Moses entered the tent of meeting, the Lord's message came from between the cherubim as if they were watching this great wonder of atonement on the altar. This took place when the blood was sprinkled on the day of atonement. God is spoken of as riding the cherubim in Psalm 18, Psalm 104, Isaiah 66, just speaking of God's majesty. In Ezekiel 1 and 10, we read of the living creatures. These are the cherubim. Four in number, in human form, each with four wings, four faces, human, lion, ox, eagle. In Revelation 4, 6, four living creatures, each with one face, eyes behind, six wings surround the throne, crying, Holy, holy, holy. And they do that night and day. They are living personal beings, evidently with the power of an ox, the majesty of a lion, the speed of an eagle, and the intelligence of a human. We also read of the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, symbolically represented in human form only with six wings, two to cover the face, two to cover the feet, and two to execute the commands of the Almighty. They praise God's glory and await whatever He commands. And I want you to listen carefully and read the words, please, when we come to it, to what the ensemble will sing about Isaiah, the sixth chapter. We read... Also of principalities and powers, dominions, thrones, hence rank. In Revelation chapter 7, angels come to the forefront with regularity. We read in Revelation 8-2, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And we see this with regularity in the book. 
What about their nature, qualities, and characteristics? Angels are spirits. They are called pneuma, spirit. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They are spirits who are sent out by God to serve you, people of God. That's what Hebrews 1.14 says. They are spirits who from time to time appear in human form. Bobbink says both in their appearance and in symbolism, the angels continually assume different forms. Angels do not marry. Matthew 22.30, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. By the way, it doesn't say that we become angels in heaven, but in this matter of marriage, we become like the angels in heaven. Angels are immortal. Luke 20, 35 to 36. Those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Angels are ordinarily invisible. Colossians 1.16, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities that we cannot see, you see. There may be an entire legion in a restricted place, Luke 8.30 and other places. And they have no flesh and bones. For Jesus says in Luke 24.39, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Angels are rational creatures with intelligence and will. They are self-conscious. They speak, Luke 1.18 and following. They desire, 1 Peter 1.12. They rejoice, Luke 15.10. They worship, Hebrews 1.6 and other places. And they believe, James 2.18. And some of them sinned and fell, 1 John 3.8. They are rational creatures, but also they are powerful creatures. A mighty army of angels exists, Psalm 103.20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his will. We all probably like to watch It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time. But Clarence the angel is nothing like what the Bible says angels are like. They are so awe-inspiring that John in Revelation was tempted to fall down and worship an angel, but he was rebuked by the angel who said, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. When angels come, they say, fear not. Because they are powerful, powerful beings. They're knowledgeable beings. They have great knowledge. Matthew 18.10, they have the knowledge of Christ's little ones. Not even the angels know the time of Christ's return, however. They contemplate God's works and have revelation given to them by God. They do not know God's secret will, nor do they know the future, except insofar as God has revealed it. And angels are moral beings. Good angels serve him, bad angels fell into sin and are reserved for judgment. Good angels are called angels of the Lord, elect angels, holy ones. They are great beings, but even though angels are great beings, they are not created in the image of God. You are. You are image bearers of God. And you have a body and a soul and are created to hold dominion over the earth with ties of blood and are part of humanity. You are made sexual beings with the richness of family and can commune with God as redeemed sinners through the blood of Christ. Angels will never know what you know. Communion with God having fallen in sin and been redeemed, having been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They will never know that joy. If that were not enough, recognizing that your privileges are greater, let's now think fourthly upon the ministry of angels. The ministry of angels, first of all, with respect to God, let me briefly mention, angels praise God 
and they praise him continually. Revelation 5.11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Angels convey revelations and are messengers throughout redemptive history as God chose to use them. They're used of God to bless and punish and take part in God's warfare. Their ministry with respect to Christ in particular... Angels were present at the birth of Christ, present at his temptation in the wilderness, in his earthly life at various times, comforted Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, were present at his resurrection and his ascension, and will be present when Jesus returns, when he gathers his elect. For we read in Matthew twenty four thirty one, and Christ will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, and will cast the ungodly into the lake of fire. And in Matthew thirteen forty one and 49, So it will be at the close of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So angels figure into the work of Christ from his birth all the way to his return. With respect to you, God's people, with respect to the saints, angels are used by God to preserve us. Now, this is a wonderful thing. God doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself. He didn't have to create you, the universe, or angels. He is completely self-contained. He doesn't need anyone. And he certainly doesn't need anyone or anything to govern his universe, but he has chosen, nonetheless, to create angelic beings in the governance of his world. And in caring for you, his people, this is what the Bible teaches. Matthew 18.10, see that you do not despise one of those little ones. And little ones doesn't mean children there, it means all of God's children, all of God's people. We are his little ones. See that you do not despise one of those little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What about each believer having a guardian angel? Matthew 8.10, that I've just read to you has sometimes been appealed to. By the way, that verse is variously interpreted. Some think that angel there actually means the soul of the believer before the Father's face. And it's been very well argued, but I don't think that's right. I don't think the scriptures would use angels in that context, that word angel. But the guardian angel is widely, the view that guardian angels are appointed is widely shared and held by some Reformed theologians. In Roman Catholicism, this is very elaborately held. There one actually calls upon his guardian angel, which is idolatry. I think it reads too much into Matthew 18.10 to say that there is one guardian angel for each little one. The text just will not sustain that. But I want you to listen carefully to what Calvin says on the matter, both in his commentary and then in the Institutes. Calvin says, It is no light matter to despise those who have angels for their companions and friends. We ought, therefore, to guard ourselves against despising their salvation, which even angels have been commissioned to promote. The care of the entire church is committed to angels to assist each member as his needs require. Calvin then says in the Institutes, The angels are dispensers and administrators of God's beneficence toward us. For this reason, Scripture recalls that they keep vigil for our safety, take upon themselves our defense, direct our ways, and take care that some harm may not befall us. 
But whether individual angels have been assigned to individual believers for their protection, I dare not affirm with confidence. We ought to hold as a fact that the care of each one of us is not the task of one angel only, but all with one consent watch over our salvation. For it is said of the angels together that they rejoice more over the turning of one sinner to repentance than over ninety-nine righteous men who have stood fast in righteousness. Also it is said of a number of angels that they bore Lazarus' soul to Abraham's bosom. And Elisha does not in vain show to his servant so many fiery chariots which had been destined especially for him. It is not worthwhile anxiously to investigate what it does not much concern us to know. For if the fact that all the heavenly hosts are keeping watch for his safety will not satisfy a man, I do not see what benefit he could derive from knowing that one angel has been given him as his special guardian. Do you see what Calvin is saying? The scriptures nowhere teach in any certainty that there is one angel that is appointed to each of God's children. But what is that? It does teach that all of God's angelic beings are given for the care of God's people. God has chosen to care for you through angels, and they are deeply interested in you. So, angels watch over Christ's little ones, over believers, as we have said. Psalm 34, 7, Psalm 91, 11. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Angels protect us, Matthew 18.10. And angels are present in the worship of the church. Yes, they are. 1 Corinthians 11.10, 1 Timothy 5.21. Paul says, that is why a wife ought to have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And the context is worship. Paul says to the pastor, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you. It is right then for us to ask God for protection and to say, Lord, send your angels or by whatever means you choose, protect your people. But we ask the Lord, not the angels. Angels also, according to the Bible, rejoice over the conversion of sinners, Luke 15, 10. And they are fascinated with your lives. Angels are fascinated with your lives. Ephesians three ten. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to the prophets that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so if you say about your life, I don't see anything special about my life. I think my life is very mundane. I think my life is boring. I don't think that anything great is happening in my life. You are purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Angels long to look into your life. They care about what they're they're fascinated with your life. Your salvation has engrossed the thoughts of the prophets and the hosts of angels are amazed at the work that God is doing in your lives. The verb that Peter uses in that passage in 1 Peter means to strain to see. They are about to fall over the parapets watching you, people of God, each of you, what God is doing in your life. They are amazed that fallen in sin, Christ would come into this world and take human nature to redeem us. They are amazed that he obeyed the law that you and I broke. They are in wonder that he went to the cross and shed his blood to atone for your sins. 
They are amazed at the resurrection, the ascension, the intercession, the perseverance that He grants you from on high, the promise that He will bring you home, the eternity that awaits you. The angels look into each of your lives and they are excited with fascination because of what God is doing. Out of a job, stress, temptation, sin, the angels look and they see the redeeming work of Christ. They see what God is doing for you and for His church. And they are utterly amazed. They have an interest in the prayers of the saints. Revelation 8, 8, the angel offers the incense on the altar. Its smoke rises with the prayers of the saints and the presence of God. God hears the prayers of His embattled church. And from the same altar, the angel fills the censer with fire and throws it to the earth showing that the saints' prayers are used of God to bring the downfall of the enemies of the gospel. In this warfare, angels have a part. They are not to be viewed as mediators, and they do nothing on their own initiatives, but they care about the prayers of the saints. Angels fight evil powers on behalf of the saints. Revelation 12, 7 through 8. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Jude 6 speaks of angels which kept not their first estate, but left their habitation. Satan and his followers rebelled against God, and then followed the temptation and fall of man. 2 Kings 19, Isaiah 37, 36, we are told that the angel of God, to lift the siege of Jerusalem, slew 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians in a single night. Get straight your thinking about these things. Angels are real, not just ideas. They're powerful. They're used of the Lord to bring judgment and to govern the world. They bring fear when they appear. In world history, Satan's attack is against Christ and his church. Luke 22, 31 Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In Ephesians six ten through 17, we are told of the warfare and of putting on the armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And over against Satan and his fallen angels stands the elect angel spoken of in 1 Timothy 5, 21. And angels will be God's reapers of his people and of those who are taken to the judgment at the end of the age. And we will see that when we return to Matthew 13 next week. Then the people of God will join with the angels in praise before the throne of the Lamb. Revelation five eleven through 14. Now it seems that angels do one other thing for the people of God. I think you can see that they do quite a lot, can't you? There's one other thing that angels do, and I'm going to say that to last. We should also, fifthly, take care not to venerate angels, worship angels. And you say there's no reason for me to say that around here. There's no danger of that. Well, we need to pass this truth down. Because it's happened in the history of the church and is true even now, I think. Colossians 2.18, all the way back when Paul the Apostle was writing, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. The Roman breviary has included prayer to angels, and Roman Catholic theologians have encouraged it through 
various means, even though the scriptures prohibit it. What can so denigrate Christ in our thinking than offering prayer and worship to creatures, whoever those creatures may be, however mighty or powerful those creatures may be? Even if one attempts vainly to disguise the kind of worship offered to God from the kind of worship offered to angels or even saints, which Rome does. We should rather be aware of their presence. 1 Corinthians 4.9 and 11.10, Paul says that he is a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We should respect their calling by God and look forward to joining with them in the heavenly hosts. Psalm 103, 20-21, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the elect angels have never sinned and stand out as examples to us of faithful service to God. The Heidelberg Catechism says on the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, Grant that we may obey thy will, which alone is good, so that everyone may discharge the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Lord's Day 49. Now, uses. What use do I make of all this data? And there's more data. We don't have time for it. What uses? Let me give you several things. First, we are underscoring Christian supernaturalism and biblical authority when we preach this theme. Our views must stand in stark contrast to the unbelief of modern thought, and like our Lord Jesus, we affirm the full authority of the Bible. We are not here to correct the Bible. The Bible is inerrant and is for our correction. We will not chop and change the Word of God, but submit to the Word of God, and so we underscore Christian supernaturalism. A second use is for your awareness and encouragement that there is more to this world and God's governance of it than you can see. The passage that was read by Pastor McDonald from 2 Kings 6, 15 through 19, we saw that. Later, perhaps you'll read Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Machanaim. A duel, as I recall, in the Hebrew, which means two camps. Either they were before him and behind him or on either side of him. The point is the angelic beings encamped around Jacob. And even though we do not see them, believers today are also in such company. A multitude to protect and defend us. A vast army is on our side doing God's bidding. As we sometimes say, it gives us chills to consider. And it does, if you think about it, that God is at work in his world. And it should encourage us to know that we are surrounded by angelic beings who are working for the cause of God and truth. Are you not well cared for, sons and daughters of God? Are you not so loved by a Savior who would shed his blood? And aren't you so loved and cared for that there are angelic beings assigned by God? For your perseverance. A third use is that it encourages us in the wonder of our worship. For we read in Hebrews 12, 18 through 29 about our present position as believers. We are told there that we have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Also, we have come, we have come now, we have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's now. These are the myriads spoken of in Revelation, 10,000 times 10,000. 
The one spoken of in Hebrew, Hebrews 1.14, ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation. How would it be if you saw an angel? There are myriads of them, and you have come to them, according to the Bible. And the context stresses worship, so that not only are they here in our worship, we are also lifted up in union with Christ before the very throne of God with that innumerable host of men and angels. That should inform our reverence and awe in worship. With what attitude should you come to worship? But another use is this, and I think the most important of all. Are angels great? They are. Are they powerful? They are. Are they knowledgeable? They are. Are they wonderful beings? Indeed, they are. But they pale next to Christ. As great as they are, they are infinitely less than the infinite Son of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us in the passage with which we open that Christ is the object of angelic worship. That Christ is infinitely above the angels. That he is enthroned above the angels. That Christ is eternal, immutable, the ruler of the universe. That Christ places on the throne, the angels places before the throne. What are angels? As great as they are, they are just Christ's messengers. Christ is the Savior, and your place and mine is the same place as that of the angels before the throne, on our faces, before his feet. Let all the angels of God worship him. And when all of the false religion and all of the false religious teachers are dead and gone, his throne shall stand. Then I want you to think about this use of this data. Think about it. Glorious, great, mighty, shining beings that God has created. But he has no plan to save the fallen angels. He tells us they are reserved to the day of judgment. But he chose to save Sinners like you and me. Christ did not atone for the sins of fallen angels. Christ did not take upon himself angelic nature. He took upon himself human nature. Hebrews 2.16 tells us explicitly, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The writer of Hebrews wants you to see the wonder that these great, magnificent, angelic beings, they'll never know what you know the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. They long to see it, to understand it, to grip it, to grasp it. They're in wonder. Sovereign Lord, it was not these bright and brilliant angelic beings who fell for whom Christ died, but he took on flesh and died for me. How can I thank you that you would do such a thing? And so the gospel of Jesus Christ does not come to you from angels and to angels, but from a man preaching the word to men and women who need Christ. I wonder if God might even use the preaching of this truth this morning so that someone might come to repentance and faith, and the angels of God will rejoice in heaven. I told you there was one final thing that angels do. 
In Luke 16.22, it seems to indicate that angels are appointed to attend the souls of believers at death. And this makes sense. If angels are used of the Lord to protect his people and bring us to the end in spiritual and sometimes physical safety, the Lord uses them to bear the soul to heaven. We read in Luke 16.22, the poor man Lazarus died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And so it seems that Bunyan is not far off when in the Pilgrim's Progress he wrote, There came out also at this time to meet them several of the king's trumpeters, clothed in white and shining raiment, who with melodious noises and loud made even the heavens to echo with their sound. These trumpeters saluted Christian and his fellow with 10,000 welcomes from the world, and this they did with shouting and sound of trumpet. This done, they compassed them round on every side. Some went before, some behind, and some on the right hand and some on the left, continually sounding as they went, with melodious noise and notes on high, so that the very sight was to them that they could behold it as if heaven itself was come down to meet them. And now were these two men as twere in heaven, before they came at it, being swallowed up with the sight of angels and with hearing of their melodious notes. The word of the Lord. Amen.